your life, your real life starts after the military. I mean, for sure. There's you, there are so many skills you have. Just I would say take stock of your of your toolkit. You know, your your emotional toolkit, your intellectual toolkit, everything you have that the military has taught you. And try to figure out as you're transitioning how you can apply those skills in the civilian world because we go through a whole lot of stuff that that civilians do not go through not even close uh and that they can't even relate to so not it's not only just about understanding what tools you have and how to use them but also being able to be smart with how you explain things to other people because we're used to a certain way of doing things in the military. The civilian world doesn't act that way. And a lot of veterans have trouble uh, meshing into the civilian world. So really be careful with your words, not for fear of, of you know anything bad happening, but just be careful with your words because most likely the way you want to explain it, the person on the receiving end is still not going to understand. <laughs> you know, so, so, so you have to be the one to try to bridge that gap. This is the Living Legends series, where we talk to incredible humans about their wins, losses, and their strategies for becoming legendary. Let's jump into it. So Spencer, you know, I would describe you as a maverick, you know, somebody- a maverick, that, oh man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, somebody that's almost almost mythical. You know, I know you as um, a veteran, a father, um, and just an all around boss. Uh, but for anybody that doesn't necessarily know you yet, um, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, so uh, I'm an expat. Uh, I'm a former Army Warrant Officer uh, attack pilot. I flew Apaches uh, two and a half years in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, I used to be a professional musician before that. Uh, I had my own recording studio here and there, a published author. I just published a book. Uh, and now I fly helicopters and airplanes uh, overseas in Eastern Europe, in Romania. I live in Bucharest. So, lot, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And, you know, you summarized a lot of the things that you've done in life in like a minute or so. But um, so when you transitioned out of the military, um, you were able to use your transferable skills to just really get to the next level. Um, and I feel like everybody has their own military veteran transitioning story but um could you talk about what it was like for the first few months after you after you got out as a pilot sure absolutely uh it was in 2020 uh for warrant officers and and o-grade officers we have to basically request to to get let out so we have to uh basically technically resign uh and uh that's that's a you know a about a year long process to, to make sure that that gets done. So uh, in 2019, after Afghanistan, um, we didn't know the pandemic was coming. So at that time, we had a lot of uh, airline pilots hiring us uh, rotor scum uh, because there's a global airline pilot shortage, which there, there still is. And um, my little brother is a pilot for the Air Force. He just transitioned to Delta. Uh, so he's flying out of New York City. And my dad was a 30-year airline pilot with FedEx. So, you know, great lifestyle. I saw it, you know, fly 10 days a week, make, you know, a couple hundred grand easy a year and uh, free, basically free plane tickets anywhere you want to go. Like you can't, can't ask for a better life. Uh, so after right. 12 years in the military, I was like, that sounds pretty good. And they're actually looking at us, uh, us, us helicopter pilots. And they were paying for training, which is awesome to transition to airplanes. So 
uh, I made the decision to get out. And then uh, as I was getting out, I had a conditional job offer from a regional airline and just like a lot of my friends at the time did. Uh, and then um, when I finally did get out, uh, COVID, you know, I got done with my airplane training and COVID, they're like, hey, um, yep, yeah, sorry, we don't have a job for you. <laughs> so I went from thinking I had a pretty sweet Gosh. gig lined up to all of a sudden, uh, nothing, nothing at all. So um, then I talked to uh, my fiance would be then wife and uh, yeah, she worked for NATO. And uh, she's like, hey, I have a lot of friends in the Romanian Air Force. Uh, she's Romanian. And um, maybe one of them can get you a job over there. I think some of them fly for airlines in, uh, in, in Europe. And I was like, okay, cool, awesome. See if you can get me a, a gig. And so I had a uh, job interview and uh, everything seemed good. And so we moved to Romania, uh, which for her, I mean, she grew up here. She knows the country and, and all that. So it's... Um, you know, lived most of her life here. And uh, I've been a couple of times, it's like, oh, this is really awesome. It's on the same latitude as uh, New England. I grew up between New York City and Boston in uh, in Connecticut. And so uh, walking around the, the woods of Transylvania feels like walking around the, the woods of Connecticut, the trees are the same, you know, the, the grass is the same, everything's very, very similar. Uh, so it felt like home. So I had no problems with the, the thought of moving overseas. Uh, and especially after two and a half years in Iraq and Afghanistan, pretty much anywhere seems uh, just peachy. So, <laughs> um, but I got here and then, you know, sure, sure enough, uh, the same thing happened just like, you know, eight months later, or a year later than it did in the US. Nah, that's cool. COVID, we're not hiring. <laughs> so here I was in, in Romania with, with, uh, you know, a, a, a wife uh, who's working and then, you know, and uh, she was pregnant at the time. We have an eight-month-old son now, and and no jobs. Yeah, thanks, man. So, uh, so yeah, so it was it was uh, definitely different than I than I imagined it. Um, but good things happened. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll let you. I'll let you. You ask me the questions. We'll go into that in a minute. No, it just seems like you really have um, an ability to just kind of bounce back from situations and just really take it for what it's worth. And just keep you know kind of going forward um, i think anybody of... in the in the military <laughs> who spent any significant amount of the time in the military that's kind of uh I, those are like superhero powers when we get out you know and not all right. the time and not for everybody but you know at least from we're, we're at least um used to uncomfortable situations i would say you know right that resilience you know and i think that is one of the things that a lot of people don't necessarily take uh, into account when they put their job ad out on like LinkedIn or Indeed. Um, and it's hard to really like ask a person how resilient they are. But I feel like when you talk about a, a military veteran, especially one that's a pilot from the, from the army, you know that person is tough. Um, and you, you kind of strike me as a person that's really, um, you seem to find success just like serendipitously. Could you talk a little bit about how you were able to get your, your job uh, in Cebu? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so I was in a town in Romania. I, I live in Bucharest, and uh, but my wife was really cool and gave me a tour of the country at the end of the summer about a year and a half ago. Uh, we checked out all the castles, checked out the Danube Delta, which is beautiful, the Black Sea Coast and, uh, and the Carpathian Mountains, Transylvania, everything, beautiful country. Uh, and we were in Sibiu, 
which is a, a town kind of at the base of the mountains um, in the center of the country. And uh, we were basically just hanging out. She was showing me the city. And uh, yeah, I, I, I happenstantially met the lead guide for a heliski company. And uh, I just wanted to talk to him about heliski. I, <laughs> I heard him say the words heliski. And I was like, oh, you have heliski in Romania? Like I grew up doing extreme sports, skiing, snowboarding, surfing, skateboarding, all that stuff. So the the idea of being dropped off by a helicopter and, and skiing really uh, adventurous terrain was like perfect, you know, and uh, it took about two beers before he was like, oh, what do you do? You know, I was like, oh, I'm a helicopter pilot. He's like, what? You're a helicopter pilot? We need a helicopter pilot. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Crazy. so that's kind of how I met these guys and, and got hooked up with them. So I spend the winter times up in the mountains with those guys. Um, and when I'm not... Uh, when I'm not flying, I get to be a, a you know, a, another pair of eyes on the mountain, a, a unofficial ski guide and uh, make sure that everyone's uh, having a good time being safe. And I always take my camera. So I was a, a active photographer as well. And you know, so <laughs> it's, it's just all around. Yes. You, you couldn't ask for a, a better, a better existence doing that kind of thing. And then the, the rest of the year, I just fly private for airplanes and helicopters, uh, you know, corporate stuff. It's pretty, pretty cool. That is awesome. And I feel like you really have, you really have a, a, an awesome growth mindset. Um, could you talk a little bit about how that has really changed your outlook on, on life and how it's impacted your career so far? Sure. Um, I think all of us, you know, as we grow up, we, we go through the school system. Um, we, we learn fundamentals, but um, real life application is uh, lacking. There's a, there's a disconnect between what you learn in school and how to use it in real life. And we don't know that until until we go through these things. I mean, there's a, uh, a lot of books out there, but the I, I guess the biggest difference is uh, in school, you're given the answers and then and then the test and asked to regurgitate them in real life. You're given the test first and then only afterwards do you know the answer, whether it was the, the right way to go or not, you know, um, and so once you figure that the life lessons we learn actually stick with us much better than the school lessons. <laughs> Um, but the, yeah, on my first deployment in 2010, uh, and I actually joined the army. I was a musician, uh, in the army, I was in the army band. So I was in Afghanistan for a year, awesome. traveling around the whole country, playing, uh, drums, playing ACDC Skinnerd with the 101st Air Divi Airborne Division, uh, rock band for a year. And uh, <laughs> I had a really good reading, uh, reading schedule. Um, I would read a, a fiction book for fun, a, uh, a, a classic, you know, because everybody everywhere in, in movies and things like that, people are able to like quote classic novels and stuff. I don't know if people really do in real life, but it, it made me think like, oh, maybe there's something to actually knowing classic, classic literature and then uh, and then a self-help book. And so I had that cycle going through the whole deployment, um, but I was young. I was like 24, 25 years old. Um, and like most of us didn't have a financial education, didn't grow up with one. Uh, unless you happen to grow up with a, a father, maybe in business, you, you you learn some of these things. But even if you go to school for accounting, what, what do they teach you how to do? Or, or economics, you learn about markets, you learn about systems, but you learn how other people's money works and how to manage it. You don't get taught how to make money. Like that's that's the big the big the big difficulty, you know. So um, so the next deployment I, I I read Rich Dad Poor Dad at the request of my little brother. He said it was a really good book. And for every every single 
uh, other book that's mentioned in that book, I wrote it down and that became my reading list. And so then I'd go to the next book and then, you know, my, so basically I'll never catch up with my reading list because it just <laughs> exponentially grows, you know, and I might cherry pick like, okay, what do I want to read next or whatever? But, um, but I, I gave myself a, a financial, financial education uh, through a, a bunch of books. And I realized that if I want to be entertained, I can watch a movie in two hours and be entertained. And uh, if I'm taking the time it takes to read a book, you know, days and days of reading, depending on how much time you have, it's like, okay, I better be learning something from it. So I, I pretty much changed my, um, my reading list to the only thing I read is stuff that can better me as a person to grow as a person. And uh, all those all those uh, insights from from all these different books, it's, it's never the, the main chapter that, that speaks to you, or helps mm -hmm. you. It's always what's in the details. That's why like, uh, I was on an app headway, I think it was where it gives you like the you know, they hire an author to, to break down like a Jordan, Jordan Peterson book into like seven pages and all the main points or whatever, like, like those type of things. And um, it just didn't do anything for me because sure, the main points are like, okay, clean your room. That's, that's great. Clean your room. I, I get it. I understand the, 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 the analogy and, and everything, like, because you set up your day, right. And you do this and that or whatever, but it doesn't give you those little details that actually make you profoundly think about your own situation and how you could change it, you know, that, that really, that really open your eyes and give you those like aha moments. That's in all the, that's in all the subtext, you know, so it is really important to actually read full books and, and not just try and, uh, you know, accomplish everything as quickly as, as possible. Take the time, you know, look at the details and, and, uh, be a nerd, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a book nerd. I, I love reading. So, yeah. right but it's, it's really helped my life out a lot. It's, it's allowed me to uh, grow as a, as a person immensely in probably the last, I don't know, five, six years. Mm. That's awesome. You know, when you think about, um, you know, financial literacy, I feel like everybody has their own path. You know, for me, I always, I didn't know that much about real estate until I went to a real estate development ah. program. And oh, then cool. I learned, okay, wait a second, refinancing whoa hold on a second so if you <laughs> refinance 100 units whoa oh my god so i had this yeah. like epiphany <laughs> in class yeah, one day yeah. um so when you talk about those aha moments was there what was the aha moment for you when it came to uh financial literacy like what's your what's your goal oh, that i right didn't now? know anything <laughs> when i started is i i think uh, i think it became the more books i read the more i realized i didn't know and i had to learn you know, and, and it's yeah. like, yeah, a, a book like Rich Dad Poor Dad can break everything down in a, in a simple storytelling format that makes, that, that gives you broad brush strokes, but, but the details are the devil's in the details and everything, you know, um, like he talks, you're talking about real estate. He talks about, uh, you know, dealing, wheeling and dealing real estate and, and, you know, making a fortune off real estate. And that's awesome. However, right. uh, if you're not local and you can't manage your own properties and you have a property manager like like my house in upstate new york i went through a nightmare for three years in a row with just yeah. crappy property manager after crappy property manager it just made me realize that like you know this is so much effort and taking yeah. up so much of my time and i'm constantly like i'm having to be the one to ask for information and do all this i was like you know maybe real estate is not not my thing at least maybe not right now or maybe it's just in a in a 
a bad spot or, or whatever. Like, you know, it, it's just everyone yeah. has something that speaks to them. Uh, the, the aha moment for me wasn't necessarily in reading there, not, in, not financially anyways. Um, but, uh, when, when I moved to Romania, <laughs> like I, I was like, man, I can never do anything with money. I can no, just can never get ahead no matter how hard <laughs> I try. And then I moved over here and it's like, whoa, like a beer is like the equivalent of 80 cents. You know? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it, it just made me realize that like, there's a, there's a whole world out there. And, and I started listening to a, a podcast. Um, oh man, what's it called? Uh, it's with, uh, Andrew Henderson, uh, the mm -hmm. nomad capitalist. That's a great podcast talks about going in all kinds of different countries and, you know, in capital cities and stuff. It's very, very interesting, different take on the world. But um, yeah. for me, reading the aha moment wasn't financial. It was it was very much um, um, talking about uh, being in service to others. And, and I never really understood what that means, what it meant. And I was like, well, of course, I'm always trying to do nice things for other people or whatever. But what I learned was I was always so focused on what I want and what I need that I was always approaching things from a mindset of how do I get what I want instead of what I, when I kind of changed my attitude a little bit, I started saying, well, how can I started asking myself, not out loud. I started asking myself, like, how can I help this person with their project? And is this is, number one, is this a good person to know? Do I get along with them? Are they smarter? You know, do they, you know, do we have a lot enough in common that there's a reason for me to interact with this person, but how can I help them with their project? And so I just started doing that. And after a very, very short time, um, I had people contacting me that I had no idea who they were. And they just said, Hey, this other person recommended you. Like, I've got this really cool idea. Like, I think maybe like, you know, I, I just don't know how to do it. And, you know, my friend said, you're really smart and you have a lot of leadership experience and blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you think, how do you think we could do this or whatever? Like, I mean, just so many opportunities uh, and even more so when I moved here, uh, it's, it's insane. It's, it's really been insane. So yeah, I, I, in order to get paid here, I just had to start a company, the equivalent of a LLC uh, in the U S mm -hmm. um, the taxes are amazing here, especially if you're an expat um, yeah. and you're an administrator of your own company or limited company. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's been amazing. The amount of opportunity I've had here is, you know, probably <laughs> way more than I ever expected I'd get in my entire course of my lifetime in the US, you know, it's, it's been pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what the, the it, it just seems serendipitous, you know, you, you live your life, um, you're, you know, that you're a good person, you put out great vibrations. And it seems like those vibes just come right back to you. Is that kind of how you think about it? Um, or is it just like, Hey man, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, I, you know, honestly, I, I think I'm just, um, I've always enjoyed taking the, you know, the less walked path, mm. I guess you, you could say. So for me, like, like, I, I remember, I remember when I was, I was, uh, in, in Oregon, I was in a band. I, I made my parents super happy. Uh, I, I didn't want to, I didn't, do super well in college the first year so I made them super proud I, I dropped out and joined a rock band and went on tour <laughs> and, and but but I was in a, I was having a conversation with uh, my friend where she worked at a grocery store and her friend was standing next to her and uh and they're like oh you're moving to California I I decided to go to music school in Los Angeles because 
uh, I was like, okay, if I, if music is what I want to do, I actually, I want to do it right. I want to get a formal music education and all this stuff. And uh, she's like, man, I'd love to move to California. And I, I was living in Oregon at the time. And I was like, well, why don't you move to California then? She's like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know anybody there. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know anyone there right now either. I'm like the only people I know are in Northern California and like Southern California is a completely different state basically, you know? And she's like, oh, well, you know, I couldn't, I have a job here. I couldn't get a job there. I was like, you work at Albertsons there. They have Vons. You could request an inner company transfer. And it's just like, she just kept giving me excuses and giving me excuses and giving me excuses for everything I pointed out that she could do. Oh, well, I don't have enough money. I was like, okay, so, you know, save, save your money for a down, you know, a down payment on an apartment and first month's rent and transfer your job, go down there, have some fun, meet some cool people. You'll be fine. You know, right, like, right. and, uh, and this is something that's really interesting because it kind of ties into where I've chosen to direct my business. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I had to form the LLC to get paid business to business here, um, as an, as an expat, um, I was like, okay, well I have a business, so I should do something with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the extreme sports. Uh, I love skiing. I love snowboarding, love surfing, all, all those things. And, uh, there's, they're, they're, they're now Olympic sports. It's not counterculture anymore. It's not just X games. It's uh, real life, you know, hard training athletes with coaches, with teams, with, you know, not, <laughs> not let's let's go party and punk rock and 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 drink beer and then you know launch ourselves off ramps uh you know still drunk from last night that's like that's like what we grew up with you know um it's it's a different world but there's like no infrastructure here and these are all olympic sports mm-hmm. and i have an eight-month-old son mm-hmm. uh and he's a romanian citizen and a u.s citizen and uh we're not planning on moving back anytime soon so for me it's like okay well those sports are what made me who I am, you know, and it's really interesting. I I read an article in Forbes and it was talking about the 750 most successful CEOs in North America in, well, specifically U S and Canada. And they did a a survey and turns out like over 70% of them, uh, either used to currently, uh, used to, or currently participate in what would be considered an extreme sport. And what they what they found is like those sports, you're the person, you're the only person who you can rely on to succeed or fail. You don't have a team. You can't blame Johnny if he misses a goal or something like that. Uh, and those are important for teamwork, but for building your own character, I mean, sk- skateboarding, you're falling down over and over and over and over again and, and hurting yourself and breaking bones and, you know, and yet you still want to get up and do it again. So they teach resiliency. They teach uh what pain feels like they teach you your boundaries and how to push past your boundaries and surfing like you can go to the beach and no matter how much you want to surf you can look at the conditions and say "Mm, it's a little too big today i'm gonna you know and you sit there for five hours making the decision like do i really want to go in the water or is this beyond my ability level so they teach you also how to say no to to situations so they teach you they really teach you your boundaries when to push them when not to and uh, and risk assessment, you know, and all those things. And, and I think like growing up doing those things, um, it really set the stage for how I would decide to live my life, whether uh, in, in what society we consider a safe way, a practical way or an adventurous way. And, and it's one thing you learn about safety is, uh, I mean, no matter how hard you try, 
you, you can't keep yourself safe all the time. You can trip down the stairs. And like my friend JD in, in uh, LA, he slipped off the fifth story uh, uh, fire escape because that's the way he would go up and down from his apartment. And it was safe. It's like a normal ladder. It's just, uh, you know, on the fifth story up, he slipped and fell and, you know, he, he didn't survive. And, you know, you can trip downstairs. You can get hit by a car, you know, you, you can get disease, you can get all these things. It's like, and it's safety and risk are, are something that you can actually have some control over uh, in what you're comfortable with. Right. Like, a, like if you were to go on a NASCAR track and drive a car 200 miles an hour around a circle, that would be very unsafe to you. But if you went through a race training program and did all that stuff, I mean, how often do people die in NASCAR? Yeah, every once in a while, but not super often, you know, mm -hmm. more people die in, in, in car crashes from, from DUI or, you know, or something like that. So, so it's, it's all relative, I guess, is, is, is the, the point, you know, but yeah. yeah, I think that's where it comes from for me. And that's, that's so real, you know, um, and I know that you really have uh, an incredibly purpose driven approach to why you wrote your book. Um, oh, could yeah. You talk a, could you talk a little bit about the book? And sure. um, so I have a terrible how memory. That came about? <laughs> I have a really <laughs> okay. terrible memory. And, uh, and when I was a kid, um, both my grandparents were in World War Two, my grand my, um, my mom's dad was in on a destroyer, he was a radio man in the Pacific. And uh, my dad's dad was an artillery officer uh, in uh, Europe, uh, took part in the Battle of the Bulge and all that. He was part of the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, and I never got to know them as, you know, what they went through. Uh, I, even my dad's dad, I never met. He was he died when my dad was 13. Um, but my mom's dad, like I was just a little kid growing up, you know, I didn't know to ask him questions about what his experience was. And and unfortunately, he died before uh I joined the military. So I, once I had that experience, I couldn't have that bond that relate, you know, to compare, you know, what we went through differently. So I just, I decided uh, that at least for my first combat deployment as a pilot, um, I wanted to write down my memories of that experience for, uh, at that point I hadn't, didn't have a kid yet or anything like that, but at least if I was going to have a child or grandchildren or anything like that, eventually, I wanted that to be there, you know, and then I thought also, okay, well, maybe some of the guys, you know, that I served with, maybe they would appreciate at least someone writing down all the stories, even if it's not from the same perspective, that'll at least jog their memory so they can tell those stories to their families too. So I wrote it and uh, I found that uh, I hated writing growing up, you know, always did. Yeah. And I found that the more I wrote, the more I enjoyed it, the more therapeutic it was to, to go through the process. And I remembered a lot more than I thought I did. And, uh, and so I ended up with almost 700 pages on work. <laughs> and, and so it took two wow. years uh, to get the book published because we had to cut down the book basically in half and trim all the fat. But, um, but I found uh, through a friend, I found a, a alternative to self-publishing, like you can self-publish on Amazon and go through that whole process. But the alternative to self-publishing is a uh, uh, highly recommended, um, they have editors they hook you up with and yeah, you still have to pay out of your own pocket, you know, um, but they, they help you along the way and they dampen the costs because they guide you in a, in the right direction. And then at the end of the day, you split the profits with them. Uh, it's totally fair. They let you know all the secrets like Amazon basically takes 60% of your book profits and all this other <laughs> stuff. 
um so so it, yeah yeah i was like oh okay yeah they're like don't tell when you advertise our book don't advertise on amazon advertise our website oh, <laughs> it'll be way better for you i was like okay uh but it was it was awesome it was a really great process and, and i highly recommend it to to anyone who has a story if you're a veteran and you were you were deployed um even i i didn't think anyone in the military would care about my story and uh that's a lot of people that I was really surprised. I'm like, what? You guys know the story. Like, you've done this too. Like, you know, you've gone and boy, yeah. But they're like, yeah, but your yours is different than ours. Ours is different than yours. So, you know, if you if you're a veteran, you have a war story, tell it. And I mean, it could just be Kuwait. It could be the barracks. It could be like the black mold in the barracks and you know wherever. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a story too. It could be uh, you know JRTC exercises and playing pranks on each other. Like yeah. all those are great stories that you will never forget. And when you tell them to your civilian friends and colleagues, they're like, what? You know, it's like almost unbelievable. So, so I, I highly recommend it. So it's, it's a great process and, and uh, it's very therapeutic, even if you're not a writer. I, I think I wrote more in, in that period of time for that book than I wrote in my entire life combined, you know? And uh, there's no such thing as writer's block right? Just make a goal. Like I'm going to write five pages a day, seven pages a day, something like that, whatever you have time for. And don't even think, don't even think about the wording. Don't think about anything. Just be like, man, what was that one time? This one time, you know, or what, if it's a, if it's a military story, it has to be like, uh, you know, no, there I was <laughs> true story. Like it's not a real story unless you say that at the beginning. So, right. <laughs> yeah. But, That's so funny. Anyway. Yeah. It's cool, yeah. man. Cool. Are you gonna have a uh, an audio book, or how do you feel about audio books? I think they're awesome. Uh, I used to drive long distances in the states. Uh, I drive long distances here too sometimes uh, to go up to the mountains and everything. And uh, books on tape make time go by real fast. Same with podcasts. Um, but the interesting thing is, I have my own recording setup, studio setup. So I actually approached my my publisher. I was like, hey. Um, maybe we'll do a, an audiobook. Have you guys done that? You know, cause it's not a huge publishing company, uh, tactical 16. That's, that's the publishing company. They're out of Colorado Springs. And I was like, you know, like I have my own recording stuff. I can just do it myself, <laughs> you know, like don't pay anybody. I don't need to go to a studio. I can literally sit here and do it myself. And then I was toying with the idea of, uh, my friends, um, who are in the book uh getting them to just like on their phone do voice recordings of like the pilot stuff like you know tower this is a chopper whatever you know and then just oh, putting a like an audio filter over it so it sounds like the helicopter or whatever but i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens I, I'll, I'll probably do it whether or not they have a means to release it um i think they're still working on that but we'll see that's awesome i just got chills i was like that would be dope <laughs> <laughs> to yeah, see that pretty funny man or to cool. hear that yeah, yeah. Seriously. Um, well, Spencer, I mean, I think that you have really crushed it in life and you continue to crush it. And I know that this is this. Does this feel like just the beginning or does it feel like maybe a second or third life for you? Like, how does yeah. how does this moment? Feel? I, I had a I had a friend when I was 30 years old, like we we're just like having fun telling stories. And she goes, man, you've lived 60 years and 30. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And honestly, it does. Uh, I feel like each phase represents its own area of life. But like, I don't know, it's the older we get, the more we know ourselves. 
And uh, some people have difficulty, you know, with being comfortable in their own skin or whatever. But I think we all go through phases. Um, I'll, I guess I can I can I can answer your question with a, a short story. That was uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, my mom's a Spanish teacher, a middle school Spanish teacher, and I think I was 31 years old. I was visiting her, and she had a couple of her teacher friends over, and you know they're in their 60s, uh, and it was just me and three 60 some odd year old women drinking too much wine hanging out you know <laughs> so we all had a little too much wine and and one of them was like said made the comment ah to be young again i was like okay that's cool like how how young would you be you know like 20 something like go back to 18 like the, the good old years and they're like no man like your 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 late teenage years your early 20s suck they're just terrible you still care too much about what everybody thinks you know everybody's your friend uh, you think you know everything. The world hasn't beat you down yet. You don't have a job good enough to really afford the things you want, take the vacations you want, like all, all that stuff, you know. And then there, so I was like, okay, all right, well, that makes a lot of sense. They're like, no, no, your your thirties through fifty-five, thirty to fifty-five are are the best years of your life because you stop caring about what everyone else thinks. You start getting to know yourself and who you really are and what you really want out of life, and you find ways to maneuver towards that and uh your your friends list gets much smaller but that's good because you realize what the difference between real friends colleagues coworkers, you know you, and acquaintances you you learn what those definitions really mean and and if you do okay with your with your life then you you really start being able to accomplish the things you want to accomplish you know but you don't really know what you want to accomplish until those opportunities present themselves. And that's usually not until a little bit later, like in your thirties or so. So I don't know. It's, it's, everyone's got their own path, man. For me, um, I, I love where I've ended up. I'm I like, I, I never, uh, I never imagined I would end up on the other side of the world and, and, you know, willingly and be happy about it, like super stoked about it. And, and like, I, I'm, I just feel like it's strange. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be doing it. And I've never had that feeling about something before. Maybe that's why I've traveled around so much and done so many different things. But yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. But everything you do, it, you learn lessons that you can take to every other thing you will do. So it's, it's important to not forget the, the hard, hard things you go through and, and also the good things you go through because all those, all those things are those life lessons that you learn the answer afterwards. Just don't forget and you know, repeat the same mistakes over again. So it's interesting, man. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and you, man, you, you're glowing, man. So it seems like you're really doing something right, you know, <laughs> in this world. Um, I, I love to hear that. <laughs> but, you know, um, as we wrap up, Spencer, um, if there was one action that you would urge the listeners to take after uh, listening to your episode, what would that action be? Um, I would say, first of all, you know, even if you, while you're in the military, you live a life defined by the military, your life, your real life starts after the military. I mean, for sure. There's, you, there are so many skills you have. Just, I would say, take stock of your, of your toolkit, you know, your, your emotional toolkit, your intellectual toolkit, everything you have that the military has taught you. And try to figure out as you're transitioning, how you can apply those skills in the civilian world, because we go through a whole lot of stuff that that civilians do not go through, not even close, uh, and that they can't even relate to. So not it's not only just about understanding what tools you have and how to use them, 
but also being able to be smart with how you explain things to other people. Because we're used to a certain way of doing things in the military. The civilian world doesn't act that way. And a lot of veterans have trouble uh, meshing into the civilian world. So really be careful with your words, not for fear of, of you know anything bad happening, but just be careful with your words because most likely the way you want to explain it, the person on the receiving end is still not going to understand, <laughs> you know? So, so, so you have to be the one to try to bridge that gap because you're probably the only one that can. Um, but, but yeah, be, be, uh, you know, realize life starts after the military and do everything you can as you're transitioning to take care of yourself on the way out. If your unit, um, thinks you're awesome as you're transitioning out of the military, you're not doing enough for yourself and you're going to have a hard time once you, once you get out because you're doing too many things at the unit. If your unit thinks you're terrible and you went from being an awesome performer to a, you know, you know, lower level, uh, performer on your way out, like that's probably a good sign that you're, you're setting yourself up for success on the way out because you're taking enough time for yourself. And the military just keeps rolling along. They don't really care about you. Once you're gone, no, you know, they, they don't care about you. It's just they're trying to squeeze the last juice out of you. So, so do what you can for yourself. You really need to probably the last year, you know, nine months at the minimum. That's some of the best advice that I've heard in a very long time for transitioning veterans. Um, and I just really appreciate it because of the honesty. <laughs> a lot of times people might not share that. I mean, and, and that's why every, every, at least in the army, every unit, the transition unit to get out, uh, SFL tap, whatever it's called now, that's why there's a command sergeant major there to, 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 to go to bat for you. I mean, especially if you're enlisted, you know, um, you know, that sergeant major is literally there to, if you're having problems, your unit's saying, well, you're not here enough. You know, you're going to the SFL tap lessons or whatever you're going to this, uh, internship program or something like call use that sergeant major have him call your sergeant major say hey leave this kid alone man he's got to set himself up for success you know i mean nobody nobody in the civilian world cares how many article 15s you have <laughs> you know like, like it really really doesn't make a difference <laughs> you know so yeah. that's good yeah yeah that is just golden um spencer we might need a part two at some point when you write the next book or or after you get your podcast going. Um, <laughs> but no, man, I, I really appreciate your time. And um, thank you for just for joining us for um, the Living Legends series. This was awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Uh, if you don't mind real quick, hey, check out uh, tactical16.com. That's my publisher. The book is called Time of Flight. Uh, you can tell I wrote it for myself, not for anyone else, because I don't even have a copy on my desk to show you guys right now. I'm terrible. That's okay. <laughs> But yeah, but uh, check it out. Time of Flight. It's about uh, Iraq 2016 and retaking Missoula from ISIS uh, and going from being a pilot that flies a gunship to actually employing the gunship in combat for the first time, getting shot at all those things for the first time and becoming a gun pilot. It's a pretty cool story. We did some pretty cool stuff. So check it out. Sounds like sounds like that could be a movie. Do you have do you have visions of that? You know what? I thought so too. I was like, because the 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 army has uh, what what the navy has Top Gun. The army had that that terrible movie with Nick Cage in the '80s called Firebirds. Like, oh god, just horrible movie. So I was like, oh man, maybe this could be. And, and uh, my my cousin-in-law, my wife's or my uh, cousin's husband, 
he actually has a, a, a production company in Vegas and Hollywood. And so I sent him, I was like, hey man, like, I, like, do you think we can make this a movie? And he goes, I'll tell you what, let me, let me send you something. And so for the next like three weeks, he proceeded to send me, he proceeded to forward his entire spam email box to me. And everything was like, hey, I've got this great idea for a movie. <laughs> you know? oh I was like, okay, dude, I get the point. I get the point. You, you, can, you, you can stop. It'll stay a book. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Dude. I love that, that. Sam's a good guy. <laughs> you, you can make your own audio book movie, and then that'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, there you, you know? go. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, cool, Spencer. Um, it's definitely a pleasure, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks, man. You too. It's uh, evening here. You're, you're just starting your oh. day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon.